Grace, mercy, and peace are yours in abundance. From God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God for our meditation this evening is a single verse from the 10th chapter of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, verse 16. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? This is the word of our God. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the Bible never attempts to explain the great mysteries of the faith in a way that we will fully be able to understand, in a way that satisfies our human reason. For example, God in his word never tries to explain to us how he could create the entire world in six normal days, less than a week. He simply tells us that that's what he did by the power of his almighty word. Our God never tries to explain to us in his word how he can be at the same time three separate and distinct persons, and yet in his nature one undividable divine essence. He simply presents himself in the word as the triune God. Our God never tries to explain in his word again in a way that will satisfy our reason how a virgin could give birth. The scriptures simply report that Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. You know something? The Bible doesn't even try to convince us of God's existence. It's just assumed from the very beginning, the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God. It's the same when it comes to the topic of Holy Communion. The Bible doesn't tell us how our Lord Jesus can give us his true body and blood in, with, and under the elements of bread and wine. Nor does he tell us how that simple eating and drinking can bring to us such great blessings, forgiveness, and life and salvation. The Bible simply says that this is what happened, that these miracles happen every time we come and dine at the Lord's table. God's word before us this evening assures us that our Lord Jesus does and do that, that the Savior who promised to be with us always is present in this special meal in a very special way. Jesus is here. He is here with his true body and blood, and he's also here with real blessings for us. The Apostle Paul penned the words before us originally to a, a troubled congregation in Corinth. The Corinthian Christians were dealing with all kinds of, of different problems in their congregation. There was jealousy, there were factions, there were sexual sins, their worship was disorderly. Uh, there were even some things that were basic teachings of the Christian faith that they just didn't seem to understand or even rejected. And one of the things that the Corinthian Christians were struggling with was cutting off their connection to their pagan past. They had come out of idolatry and were brought into the Christian faith, but some of them were still connected a little bit to their pagan past. Some of them were even attending feasts that were dedicated to false gods, to idols. Now, to claim to be Christian and yet be in such close communion with idols was just plain wrong. And so Paul, in the beginning of this chapter, calls them to flee from idolatry. But then he moves on to talk about the real communion that they were enjoying. 
a communion that brings them so many blessings. He writes, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? The old King James Version uses the word communion here instead of participation, which is where we get the name for this sacrament, Holy Communion. But both of those words, communion, participation, basically teach the same thing. When we drink the wine in Holy Communion, we are participating in the blood of Christ. When we eat the bread in Holy Communion, we are communing with the body of Christ. Both of those words describe a joining, an intimate connection with our Savior's body and blood. Words are really important, especially to God the Holy Spirit. He doesn't waste words, and he uses words very, very carefully. In our text, he chooses a word that describes a fellowship, an intimate bond between two parties or two people that brings them into very, very close association with one another. I want you to notice that the Spirit didn't inspire Paul to choose words like symbol or picture or illustration, as in, is not the bread that we break a symbol of the body of Christ. No, nothing like that. The Spirit inspired Paul to use words that stick very close to what our Savior himself said. He said, this is my body. This is my blood. Let me ask you a couple of important questions. Can you participate in something if it isn't really there? Can you commune with something that simply is not real? Well, the answer, of course, is no both times. The bread and the wine are not mere pictures meant to represent Jesus' body and blood. They're not mere symbols. The bread and the wine in communion bring to us our Lord's true body and blood. In, with, and under those earthly elements, we receive his true body and blood. How? I don't know. I don't understand, and I'll never understand. It's a miracle. And God never tries to explain this, so I'm not going to try to explain it to you either. Too often, human beings have tried to explain communion and what our Savior gives us there, and to do so in terms and in ways that will satisfy our human reason. And whenever they try to do that, they always get into trouble. For example, some talk about how in communion we receive Jesus' true body and blood, but just in a spiritual way, quotes, which is translated as, well, we really don't receive his true body and blood at all. Some speak of Jesus' body being present in the bread in terms of a pot pie or a pastry with meat in the middle. Some have even gone so far as to describe it as like the filling in a Twinkie. And those kinds of descriptions really border on blasphemy. Some, of course, have flat out declared that we do not receive Jesus' true body and blood in the sacrament because, of course, Jesus ascended into heaven and he's there and he can't be down here with us to give us his body and blood. And besides, after all the many centuries of people coming to communion, wouldn't Jesus' body and blood be all used up by now? Sounds very reasonable, doesn't it? And it's true, all of those arguments do rely on and appeal to our human reason. But they disagree with what God tells us. They take something that's majestic and mysterious and miraculous and turn it into something that it's not. They call it simply a memorial meal in which 
That bread sort of reminds us of Jesus' body and that blood, uh, sorry, that wine sort of makes us think of, of Jesus' true blood. You know what? Trying to understand the doctrine of the real presence with our sin-tainted minds is kind of like trying to pour the Pacific into a coffee cup. It just isn't going to fit. It's just too much for us. By God's grace, and mark it well, my friends, by God's grace alone, we Lutheran Christians take God's word very seriously. A while back, I saw a bumper sticker that said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. But I would say you could take out that middle part. Because whether I believe it or not doesn't really matter as far as that statement being true. If God said it, then that settles it. In, with, and under the bread and wine, we receive our Lord's true body and blood. That's what God said. This does not compute. This does not make sense. This seems utterly unreasonable, and it is. Nevertheless, God's word said it, and so that settles it. In communion, Jesus, in a miraculous way, gives us his true body and blood to eat and to drink. And with his true body and blood, he gives us real blessings. Think on the words, consider them, that our Lord Jesus spoke on the night that one of his own betrayed him. Words that we recite and repeat with reverence every time we have the sacrament. Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Those last four words of that text describe what the Lord's Supper is really all about. They tell us the wonderful benefit that we receive in communion. They describe the one blessing that we need most of all, the blessing from which all our other blessings flow, the forgiveness of sins. A starving man needs food. A sick man needs medicine. A drowning man needs a lifeguard. Sinners need forgiveness. We need forgiveness. You and I need forgiveness. And my friends, that's finally why we come to this place so often. That's why we come to God's house. Because here, our God distributes to us the forgiveness of sins through his means of grace. Now, do we come here to see our Christian friends and to encourage each other? Sure, we do that. And do we come here to give thanks to our God with our prayers and our praises, uh, with our thanksgiving, with our offerings, by using our time and talent and treasure in a way that pleases God? Absolutely we do that. But worship is not primarily about our response. It's not primarily about what we give to God. Worship is really about what our God gives to us. And what is it that he gives us? What is it that we so desperately need and do not deserve even in the least? The forgiveness of sins. My friends, that is what worship is all about. Without forgiveness, we have no reason to worship. Without forgiveness, we really have nothing. Well, in communion, our Lord Jesus gives us that full and free forgiveness that we so desperately need. He gives us the forgiveness that he won for us by his life of perfect, sin-free obedience in our place. He gives us 
the forgiveness that he won by stretching out his arms on that cross and willingly suffering and dying to pay for all of our sins. He willingly gives us the release from guilt and the freedom from eternal punishment of which his resurrection on the third day assures us. My friends, it's the same forgiveness that we received in baptism. It's the same forgiveness that we receive in the absolution. It's the same forgiveness under which you woke up this morning, the same forgiveness that's going to allow you to put your head on the pillow tonight and sleep soundly. It's the same forgiveness. Jesus just gives it to us in a little bit of a different way. And isn't our Lord clever? I mean, he could have just told us, your sins are forgiven, and he certainly does do that, but he does more. He takes another step because he's so concerned that we understand, that we know we truly are forgiven. And so he found a different way to show us his forgiveness. Think of it like this. If I announced after a service one Sunday that, that after services, everybody from the congregation is invited over to my house for a cookout. I've got barbecue, I've got beer, I've got all the trimmings. Everybody come on over, let's have a good time. You'd probably appreciate that invitation. I don't know where I'd put you all, but you'd appreciate the invitation. But think of this. If I came up to you after the service personally, just the two of us, and I handed you an invitation on which I had written your name, and as I handed it to you, I looked you in the eye and I said, hey, I know I invited everybody, but I just want you to know that I really want you to come to the cookout today. I want you to be there. It won't be the same without you. Please, please come. That would be a different matter altogether. In communion, our Lord Jesus comes to you himself in a very real way, under the forms of bread and wine. He takes you by the hand, he looks you in the eye, and he says, My dear child, take and eat. This is my body, which I willingly gave into death for you. And take and drink. This is my blood, the blood that poured from my holy veins and cleanses you from every sin. I want you to know that I love you and I forgive you and I'll never stop. And I can't wait to live forever with you in eternity. At a pastor's conference a number of years ago, one of my brothers in the ministry was giving a paper on communion. I don't remember the exact topic. But he made the point during the paper, he said, you know, we pastors should probably smile a little bit more while we are serving the sacrament to our members. And it's a point well taken. There certainly is reason for smiling. And yet often I find myself with a little bit more serious face as I'm giving communion. And honestly, it's because I'm simply in awe of what's happening there. A sinner like me has the privilege of serving his fellow sinners, our Lord's true body and blood. And through that, God is working to give them forgiveness and life and salvation. My friends, may God always fill us with that same kind of awe every time we dine at our Lord's table. And may the Spirit enable us to confess with joy every time we receive our Lord's true body and blood. Jesus is here for me. God grant that to us all for Jesus' sake. Amen.